Section 1 of The Elements of Entomology. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Chapter 1 of The Elements of Entomology. Recording by Michelle. The Elements of Entomology by William Ruschenberger. Lesson 1 general considerations structure of articulated animals division of the third branch of the animal kingdom class of insects organization metamorphosis classification the third great division or third branch of the animal kingdom includes all animals that are constructed on the same general plan as insects their internal structure is essentially different from that of animals belonging to any of the other three branches of the animal kingdom, and their external characters are so decided and evident that it is almost always easy to recognize them at first sight. They are termed articulated animals, animalia articulata, because their body is divided into sections and seems to be composed of rings placed in a contiguous series on a line with each other. The extremities in many instances are also formed in this manner. These rings are formed of portions of skin, which are harder and thicker than the rest of the body. In some cases, this annular arrangement arises solely from the existence of a certain number of transverse folds or plates, which groove the skin and encircle the body. But in most instances, the animal is enclosed in a species of solid armor, composed of a series of rings united to each other in such a manner as to permit of motion. The uses of this armor are similar to those of the internal frame or skeleton of vertebrate animals. Because it determines the general form of the body, protects the soft parts, affords points of attachment for muscles, and furnishes them levers fitted to secure precision and rapidity of motion. It is frequently termed an external skeleton, although it does not represent our skeleton. In reality, it is only the skin which has become hard and stiff. Its rings are of a horny consistence, and in some instances they become almost, if not entirely, stony, forming a case in which the soft parts of the animal are enclosed. In general, the rings of which this external skeleton is formed are movable upon each other, but in certain parts of the body we sometimes see them soldered together and then they are less easily distinguishable. This is always the case in the thorax of insects, but in other articulate animals, the centipedes or scolopendre, for example, the rings are movable and like each other throughout the whole length of the body. Some articulated animals have no extremities, an example of which we have in the common leech, but most of these animals are provided with them. The number of these extremities is very considerable. There are never less than three pairs, and sometimes we find several hundred, as in some marine annelidans. The nervous system of articulated animals is always composed of a series of small ganglia, attached together in pairs, placed upon the middle line of the inferior face of the body, and united by longitudinal cords of communication so as to form a sort of chain or rather to represent a double knotted cord extending from one end of the body to the other 
the nervous mass formed by the first ganglion which is sometimes called the brain is enclosed in the head and is placed above and in front of the esophagus the other ganglia on the contrary are situate behind the esophagus and beneath the digestive canal so that the cords which unite the ganglia of the head to those of the thorax pass from each side of the esophagus and form around this canal a sort of collar the different nerves of the body arise from these ganglia and ramify in the neighboring parts the organs of the senses are less numerous than in vertebrate animals and sometimes they are altogether wanting in general they have eyes and sometimes an apparatus of hearing but no articulated animal has yet been discovered possessing a distinct organ of smell it must not be inferred however from this fact that they are all incapable of appreciating odors the digestive tube or canal of these animals is always extended from one end of the body to the other and the mouth is generally furnished with jaws but these organs do not move up and down as in vertebrate animals they are always lateral and move from without inwards in general their blood is white but not always in the class of annelida it is red and its manner of circulating is various in these animals the mode of respiration is equally various they are all oviparous that is their young are produced from eggs articulated animals possessing as they do a nervous system more developed than that of the mollusks limbs for locomotion and a sort of tegumentary skeleton must necessarily be superior to them in everything which essentially characterizes animality that is in the functions of relation but as respects the functions of vegetative life they are not so well provided their circulatory apparatus is less complete and in some cases is altogether absent in a word we see that the articulated animals are chiefly distinguished from the other three branches of the animal kingdom by the arrangement of the nervous system and by the body being surrounded by a series of rings which seem to divide it into so many transverse segments this great branch of the animal kingdom is composed of six distinct classes of animals namely insects myriapods arachnidans crustaceans cirrhopods and annelidans the following exhibits some of the characters by which they are distinguished from each other articulated animals blood white provided with lungs or trachea for breathing air extremities articulated classes insecta a distinct head thorax and abdomen three pairs of legs and generally provided with wings trachea but no circulatory apparatus properly so called myriapoda head thorax and abdomen not separated from each other legs twenty-four or more pairs trachea no circulatory apparatus without wings arachnida head confounded with the thorax always without wings four pairs of legs trachea or pulmonary sacs vascular system tolerably well developed articulated animals blood white provided with bronchia for breathing water crustacea in general five or seven pairs of articulated legs 
a circulatory apparatus. Seropoda, no legs for locomotion, always live attached to other bodies. Articulated animals, red or colored blood, unprovided with articulated extremities, generally having bronchia, annelida. By an examination of the preceding, we learn that animals of the class Insecta have articulated extremities, trachea for breathing air, white blood, but no circulatory apparatus properly so called. They generally have wings and three pairs of legs. The head is distinct from the thorax. That animals of the class Myriapoda have twenty-four or greater number of pairs of articulated extremities, no wings, white blood, but no circulatory apparatus, and that they breathe by trachea. The head, thorax, and abdomen are confounded in an elongated body. That animals of the class Arachnida have white blood, and generally a tolerably well-developed vascular apparatus, trachea, or pulmonary sacs for breathing air. They have four pairs of articulated extremities, but are always destitute of wings. The head is confounded with the thorax. That animals of the class Crustacea have white blood, a circulatory apparatus, articulated extremities, five or seven pairs of legs, and bronchia for breathing water. That animals of the class Seropoda have white blood, but no extremities for locomotion, that they always live attached to other bodies, they breathe water by means of bronchia, and last, that animals of the class Annelida have colored blood, are unprovided with articulated extremities, and in general have bronchia for breathing water. Class of Insects The class of insects includes all articulated animals that are unprovided with a circulatory apparatus properly so called, that breathe by trachea, undergo in general a metamorphosis while young, and possess six articulated extremities. They generally have wings, and the head, which is furnished with antenna, is always distinct from the thorax. The skin of insects is in general very hard and almost horny. It forms a kind of solid case, in the interior of which are placed the muscles, viscera, etc. It fulfills the functions of an external skeleton and is divided by a series of rings more or less considerable in number. The body is divided into three perfectly distinct parts, namely head, thorax, and abdomen. The head is not subdivided into rings. It sustains the mouth and two little stems or articulated horns called antenna or feelers. These little organs are probably the seat of the sense of touch. Their length and form vary very much. Sometimes they are filiform, at others like a saw, club-shaped, etc. The surface of the head is sometimes divided into regions, namely the clepius, Latin buckler, that part to which the labrum or upper lip is attached, the face, the front, the vertex or summit, and the cheeks. The thorax or middle portion of the body is sometimes called the corselet, although this name, strictly speaking, belongs only to the second ring of the thorax, which in all insects is composed of three rings or segments, each one having a pair of legs attached to it. The first ring of the thorax never has wings attached to it, and is always visible, 
while the succeeding rings are commonly covered above by these organs when there are four wings which is almost always the case those of the first pair are attached to the second ring of the thorax and are covered by the next pair which are inserted into the sides of the third thoracic ring when there is only one pair of wings as in the common fly they are attached to the second ring of the thorax the first ring of the thorax is called the prothorax from the greek pro before and thorax shield or chest the second ring mesothorax from the greek mesos the middle and thorax and the third the metathorax from the greek meta between and thorax these three rings are closely and solidly united into one piece and constitute the trunk the inferior surface of which is styled the pectus that portion of it which corresponds to the prothorax is called the antipectus from the latin ante before and pectus breast that portion which corresponds to the mesothorax is called mediopectus from the latin medius the middle and pectus breast and the part corresponding to the metathorax is named postpectus from the latin post behind and pectus breast the middle line of the inferior surface of the trunk is termed the sternum and is divided into three parts the antisternum mediosternum and poststernum in all true insects or as they are also denominated hexapods from the greek exa six and pus foot having six feet the abdomen is very distinct from the thorax and has no extremities neither feet nor wings attached to it it is composed of a certain number of rings and we often find at its termination near the anus various appendages such as stings or borers the last rings or annuli of the abdomen in several females form a retractile or always projecting ovipositor of a more or less complicated structure which acts as an auger the legs of insects which are solid tubes containing the muscles by which they are moved are always six in number there are never fewer than six and if in some instances we see but four at first as in certain butterflies papilio we shall find upon close examination that two of these organs are not developed but are concealed under the hair sometimes the legs are formed solely for walking sometimes they are elongated and fitted for leaping or they are spread out so as to constitute fins for swimming and again they are modified in such a manner as to form organs of prehension the leg is divided into four parts the coxa the femur or thigh the tibia or leg and tarsus or foot the coxa hip or haunch which may be said to be set into the thorax is formed of two pieces and varies much in form the femur thigh constitutes the second articulation of the leg it is always tolerably long and is sometimes remarkable for its development the tibia leg is next to the femur which it ordinarily equals in length the whole extremity is terminated by the tarsus 
which is almost always formed of from two to five articulations and frequently bears at the end one or more hooks or nails in the generality of terrestrial insects the last segment of the tarsus or foot is provided with a pair of strong horny hooks which are available for many purposes being used either for creeping upon a moderately rough surface for climbing or clinging to various substances such simple hooks however would not always serve in the case of the louse pediculus for example that is destined to climb slender and polished hairs such prehensile organs would be of little use the structure of the foot is therefore modified the tarsus in this insect terminates in a single movable claw which bends back upon a tooth-like process derived from the tibia and thus forms a pair of forceps fitted to grasp the stem of the hair and secure a firm hold many insects especially those of the dipterous order are able to ascend the smoothest perpendicular planes or even to run with facility suspended by their feet in an inverted position along substances which from their polished surfaces could afford no hold to any apparatus of forceps or hooklets in the common flies muscidae the exercise of this faculty is of such everyday occurrence that wonderful as it is it scarcely attracts the attention of ordinary observers the foot of the housefly nevertheless is a very curious piece of mechanism for in addition to the recurved hooks possessed by other climbing species it is furnished with a pair of minute membranous flaps which under a good microscope are seen to be covered with innumerable hairs of the utmost delicacy these flaps or suckers as they might be termed adhere to any plane surface with sufficient tenacity to support the whole weight of the fly and thus confer upon it a power of progression denied to insects of ordinary construction another mode of progression common among insects is by leaping to which from their extraordinary muscular power they are admirably adapted the common flea for example will leap two hundred times its own length the muscular system of insects has always excited the wonder and astonishment of the naturalist in whatever point of view he examines this part of their economy whether he considers the perfection of their movements the inconceivable minuteness of the parts moved or the strength persistence or velocity of their contractions insects are proverbially of small comparative dimensions minims of nature that wave their limber fans for wings and smallest lineaments exact in all the liveries decked of summer's pride their presence indeed around us is only remarked as conferring additional life and gaiety to the landscape and except when by some inordinate increase of their numbers they make up by their multitude for their diminutive size the ravages committed by them are trifling and insignificant far otherwise however would it be if they attained to larger growth and still possessed the extraordinary power with which they are now so conspicuously gifted they would seem then indeed become truly the tyrants of creation monsters such as fables never feign nor fear conceive fully adequate to destroy and exterminate from the surface of the earth all that it contains of vegetable or animal life the flea or grasshopper will spring two hundred times its own length the dragonfly possesses such indomitable strength of wing 
that for a day together it will sustain itself in the air and fly with equal facility and swiftness backwards or forwards to the right or to the left without turning the beetles are encased in a dense and hard integument impervious to ordinary violence and we might add that the wasp and the termite ant will penetrate with their jaws the hardest wood neither is the velocity of the movements of insects inferior to their prodigious muscular power an anonymous writer in nicholson's journal say kirby and spence calculates that in its ordinary flight the common house fly musca domestica makes with its wings about six hundred strokes which carry it five feet every second but if alarmed he states their velocity can be increased six or sevenfold or to thirty or thirty-five feet in the same period in this space of time a racehorse would clear only ninety feet which is at the rate of more than a mile a minute our little fly in her swiftest flight will in the same space of time go more than the third of a mile now compare the infinite difference in the size of the two animals ten millions of the fly would hardly counterpose one racer and how wonderful will the velocity of this minute creature appear did the fly equal the racehorse in size and retain its present powers in the ratio of its magnitude it would transverse the globe in the rapidity of lightning t rymer jones the wings are dry membranous elastic appendages usually diaphanous attached to the sides of the back of the thorax they are composed of two thin membranes laid one on the other joined together by horny lines called nervures which are in fact so many tracheal tubes for the passage of air the wings of insects differ much in texture in place of being membranous and transparent as in flies and bees they are sometimes opaque and covered by a multitude of little scales like dust as in butterflies and at other times we observe them acquire a thickness and consistence so great that they resemble horn and do not differ from other hard parts of the insect as in the maybug for example it is only the first pair of wings that present this latter condition when thus modified they are not suitable for flight but form a species of shield for the protection of the upper part of the body and are named elytra sometimes the elytra instead of being horny throughout their whole extent are membranous towards the end as in wood bugs they are then called demi elytra in some dipterous insects in place of the second pair of wings we find two pedunculated globular bodies named haltiers or poisers the eyes of insects are always on a level with the head and are never borne on a movable peduncle as in certain crustaceans sometimes their structure is the same as in arachnidans and they are called simple eyes or ocelli but in all insects there exist either conjointly with them or separately compound eyes or eyes with facets the compound eyes of insects are two in number situated on the lateral aspects of the head the form of each being more or less hemispherical when examined with a microscope their surface is seen to be divided into a multitude of hexagonal facets between which minute hairs are generally conspicuous the number of facets or cornea for such in fact they are varies in different genera thus in the ant formica there are fifty in the common house fly musca domestica four thousand in some dragon flies libellula upwards of twelve thousand in butterflies papilio 
17,355 have been counted, and some coleoptera possess the astonishing number of 25,088 distinct cornea. T. Reimer Jones. Of the organs of smell and of hearing in these animals, we know nothing. The nervous system is composed of a chain of double ganglia, arranged as has already been described. The mouth is placed in the anterior and inferior part of the head, but its form varies considerably. Accordingly, as the animal is destined to feed on solid or liquid substances, in the tritores or triturating insects, the mouth is composed first of an upper lip, second of a pair of mandibles, third of a pair of jaws, and fourth of a lower lip. The upper lip or labrum is a flat piece fixed to the anterior part of the head and closes the mouth from above. The mandibles are appendages resembling large teeth which are inserted into the sides of the head immediately below and behind the labrum. They are movable and transverse, that is, they are placed one to the left and the other to the right. They are generally very hard and of a horny consistence. They serve to divide the food. The mandibles of insects never have palpi attached to them. The maxillae, or jaws, are also two in number, and are placed one on the right and the other on the left, below and behind the mandibles. Each jaw has on its external side a little appendage, formed of from four to six articulations, named the maxillary palpus. Sometimes there are two palpi. In orthoptera, the extremity of the palpus is often terminated by two lobes. In this case, the external one is called the gallia. The lower lip, or labium, closes the mouth from below and resembles a second pair of jaws, ordinarily joined on their internal side and in a great degree covered by a horny prolongation in the middle, termed the mentum, or chin. The ligula is another part of the labium. Each half of this lip supports a palpus, which is smaller than those of the maxillae and consists of never more than four articulations. In a magnified representation of the head of a cockroach, blata, seen from the front, a careful examination will more fully explain the several parts of the mouth, the antenna, the compound eyes, the ocelli, or simple eyes, the labrum, the mandibles, the maxillae or jaws, the ligula, the labial palpi, the maxillary palpi. The principal use of the palpi is to seize and hold food between the mandibles while it is being divided. Sometimes the jaws are enormously developed and form in front of the head a sort of pinchers, an arrangement which is very remarkable in the stag beetles. Lucanus cervus, and other species of the genus Lucanus. For example, the largest of these beetles in the New England states is the hornbug. Its color is a deep mahogany brown. The upper jaws of the male are long, curved like a sickle, and furnished internally beyond the middle with a little tooth. Those of the female are much shorter and also toothed. The head of the male is broad and smooth, and that of the other sex narrower and rough with punctures. The body of this beetle measures from one inch to one inch and a quarter, exclusive of the jaws. The time of its appearance in July and the beginning of August. The grubs, larvae, live in the trunks and roots of various kinds of trees. Several other and smaller kinds of stag beetles are found in New England. Harris. In insects that live by suction, the jaws or labrum are elongated in such a manner as to constitute a tubular trunk. 
in which we often find delicate filaments that perform the functions of little lancets. They are formed by the mandibles and jaws, so modified as to be scarcely remarkable. In bees, the anthophore, from the Greek anthos, flower, and phero, I bear, and other insects known to zoologists, under the common name hymenoptera, from the Greek umen, a membrane, and pteron, a wing, the buccal apparatus has an intermediate arrangement. The upper lip, or labrum, and the mandibles closely resemble those of the tritores, or triturating insects, but the jaws and the ligula are not excessively prolonged. The first take a tubular shape and form a longitudinal sheath for the sides of the ligula, so that these organs joined in a packet constitute a trunk, which conveys the food, always soft or liquid, upon which these animals feed. This trunk is movable at the base and flexible throughout the rest of its extent, but never rolls itself up as we have seen in butterflies. The mandibles chiefly serve the purpose of dividing the materials of which the hymenoptera make their nests, or rather to seize and put to death the prey whose fluids these insects suck. There also exist in the interior of the buccal cavity other solid pieces which are wanting in the tutores. They constitute valves destined to close the pharynx or swallow every time the movement of deglutition is not affected. In the bugs, chemex, plant lice, aphis, and other insects of the order hemiptera, the sucking apparatus is composed of the same elements, but somewhat differently arranged. The mouth is armed with a tubular and cylindrical beak, directed downwards and backwards, and is composed of a sheath enclosing four stylets. The sheath is formed of four articulations placed end to end, and represents the labium or lower lip. At its base we perceive an elongated conical piece, which is analogous to the labrum. The stylets, which are in the form of fine threads, stiff and dentate at the extremity, to pierce the skin of animals or the substance of plants, are the representatives of the mandibles and the maxillae excessively elongated. In the hemiptera, which live at the expense of other animals, the beak is generally very stout and folded in a semicircle under the head. In those that feed on the juices of plants, it is, on the contrary, almost always slender, and when at rest applied against the inferior surface of the thorax, betwixt the legs. Its length is sometimes so great as to extend beyond the posterior extremity of the abdomen. In flies, the proboscis, or trunk, sometimes soft and retractile, sometimes horny and elongated, also represents the labium, or lower lip, and often has palpi at its base, a longitudinal groove on its upper surface lodges the stylets, which vary from two to six in number. The mandibles, jaws, and ligula of the tritores are analogous to them. Sometimes this trunk acquires an enormous length, and sometimes, on the contrary, it is scarcely visible. In butterflies, papilio, which also feed on the liquid substances they find at the bottom of flowers, and have no necessity for strong weapons to obtain them, there are no lancet-like stylets. The mouth is furnished with a long trunk, rolled spirally, composed of two filaments hollowed into a gutter on the internal side, which are in fact the jaws excessively elongated and modified in form. At the base of this tube, we observe in front a small membranous piece, which is the representative of the labrum, and on each side a small tubercle, the last vestiges of the mandibles. 
We also perceive in the same situation the rudiments of the maxillary palpi, and behind we find a little triangular lip bearing two very long labial palpi, composed of three articulations, almost always hairy and furnished with scales. The digestive tube is always open at both ends, and extends from the mouth to the anus. Sometimes it is straight, at others more or less flexuous, and here, as in animals of a higher order, it is very short in carnivorous insects and very long in those species which feed on vegetable substances sometimes it preserves nearly the same diameter throughout its whole length but generally it presents enlargements and contractions which enable us to distinguish an esophagus a stomach and an intestine sometimes we find several stomachs which have been named crop gizzard and chyliferous ventricle on each side we see a number of long delicate tubes filled with a yellowish liquid terminating in the digestive tube these are the biliary vessels which perform the functions of the liver we find salivary organs in a great many insects and generally they are more developed in the sectorial than in the triturating species they are simple floating tubes which sometimes terminate in a kind of utricule or little membrous sacs which communicate with the pharynx by means of intermediate excretory ducts or canals towards the posterior extremity of the intestinal canal we also find other secreting organs of various forms which serve for the elaboration of those particular liquids which many insects cause to extrude from the posterior part of the abdomen when they are disturbed the venom of the bee is an instance sometimes the nutritive liquid resulting from the digestion of food is immediately appropriated to assimilation sometimes on the contrary a part of it seems to be held in reserve to be employed on a future occasion the species of reservoir which is regarded as subserving this curious purpose is the mass of fatty tissue surrounding the viscera insects have no circulation properly so called the nutritive liquid is diffused among all the organs and penetrates them by imbibition but there exists nevertheless on the dorsal surface of the animal immediately beneath the integuments a sort of longitudinal tube surrounded by fleshy fibers which appears to be the rudiment of a heart for we observe in it alternate contractions and dilations similar to those of the same organ in other animals but this canal does not appear to give off any branches there are no arteries or veins the blood become venous by this action on the different tissues of the economy is not carried to any particular point to come in contact with the oxygen of the air to regain its vivifying qualities if respiration were carried on in the ordinary way by means of lungs or the external surface of the body it would be extremely imperfect but the disadvantage which seemingly must result from this great imperfection in so important a function as circulation does not really exist nature has dispensed with the necessity of circulating the blood in insects by carrying the air in them to all parts of the body by means of a multitude of canals which ramify almost infinitely the substance of the organs all insects have an aerial respiration but instead of receiving air into pulmonary cavities to which the blood is sent by the action of the circulating organs as is the case in most animals they breathe by means of a multitude of canals which convey the air to every part of the body these canals are named trachea the external openings of the trachea are called stigmata or spiracles 
these openings have the form of a buttonhole and are placed on each side of the body in this respect the organization of tracheal arachnidins resembles that of insects sometimes the trachea have enlargements along their course like vesicles they all communicate freely with each other they are ramified like roots and their last divisions penetrate into the substance of the organs their structure is the same as in tracheal arachnidins that is they are formed of a cartilaginous filament rolled spirally so as to constitute a tube were it not for this arrangement the sides of the tube would be forced together by atmospheric pressure and the animal would be suffocated for want of air respiration seems to be affected by the movements of the abdomen in insects this function is very active considering their size they consume a considerable quantity of air and quickly suffocate when deprived of oxygen but when they are seemingly dead from this cause they for a long time retain the power of being restored to life the sexes are distinct in these animals and frequently the males and females differ widely from each other there frequently exists at the extremity of the abdomen of the female an ovipositor or borer or some other organ by means of which she prepares a hole for the reception of her eggs some are viviparous but almost all insects lay eggs but they do not deposit them wherever they may happen to be they require them to be carefully lodged in some place where the young animals on escaping can readily obtain the kind of food proper for them in this respect the instinct of insects is most surprisingly developed and it would be interesting to study the various plans they adopt to secure this object but our present limits will not permit when an insect escapes from its egg it sometimes possesses the same form which it is to preserve through life but in the majority of instances it differs more or less from its mother as well as from the form it itself is destined to assume before attaining its perfect state it undergoes considerable changes which are designated under the name of metamorphosis it passes through two successive conditions termed the larva latin a mask because the perfect form of the insect is concealed as it were under a mask and nympha pupa or chrysalis from the greek chrysos gold because the transparent covering in which the animal is enclosed while in this state in many instances reflects a metallic luster when it has passed through these two stages of its metamorphosis it becomes a perfect insect and is then called a mago but these changes are not always of the same nature some insects experience only a partial metamorphosis some a demi metamorphosis and others a complete metamorphosis from the greek meta indicating change and morpha form those insects which undergo partial metamorphosis acquire after birth a number of legs more or less but always remain without wings the parasita and thysonora experience this description of metamorphosis those insects which undergo demimetamorphosis differ very little from what they are to become their larva resembles the perfect insect except that it is unprovided with wings the larva of a grasshopper illustrates this condition when it becomes a nympha we discover that it has stumps or rudiments of wings at the last molt they become perfectly developed and the insect then acquires the form it preserves through life 
the larvae of those insects which undergo complete metamorphosis in no respect resemble the imago or perfect animal and in proof of this it is only necessary to recollect that the butterfly escapes from its egg in the form of a caterpillar larvae are in general soft cylindrical or fusiform presenting at intervals a number of contractions which divide the body into as many rings or segments oftentimes they have the appearance of a worm and are unprovided with legs as in the larva of the bee and in other instances they have appendages of this kind and then they are generally called caterpillars these animals have a head provided with jaws several small eyes very short legs six of which are scaly and pointed and attached to the three rings next to the head they have also other legs varying in number which are membranous and attached to the last rings of the body after having lived for a certain time in the larva state the insect becomes transformed into a nympha and is then motionless and does not eat before undergoing this metamorphosis the larva often prepares for itself a defense or protection and encloses itself in a shell or cocoon which it makes of various materials but more especially of the silk secreted by organs analogous to salivary glands and spun by the assistance of spinnerets hollowed in the lips the insect in the state of a nympha possesses all the parts of the perfect animal but contracted and covered up sometimes by a delicate pellicle through which they may be seen giving the nympha the appearance of a bandaged mummy sometimes by a pretty thick skin which is moulded over the body at other times by the dried skin of the larva which forms a sort of case or shell around the animal presenting the form of an egg finally after having remained in this state of immobility for a period varying in duration the perfect insect imago escapes from the nympha and the external organs at first humid and soft are dried by the air and acquire the consistence they afterwards maintain these changes in the external form of the insect at different periods of its life are accompanied by modifications not less remarkable in the internal structure of the animal and these changes of organization induce others in the habits of these creatures as well as in the manner of feeding the number of insects is immense it is estimated that it exceeds sixty thousand species and they differ very much from each other both in their external form and manner of living insects so remarkable for their organization are still more so for their habits and for the admirable instinct with which nature has endowed a great number of them their cunning plans for procuring food or for escaping their enemies and the industry they display in their works surprise all who witness them and when we see them united in societies to gain the power denied to their individual feebleness aiding each other dividing the toils necessary for the prosperity of the community providing for their future wants and frequently regulating their actions according to accidental circumstances we are astounded to find in these creatures so small and apparently so imperfect instincts so varied and so powerful and intellectual combinations which so closely resemble reasoning the division of this class into orders principally depends upon the form of the buccal apparatus the organs of locomotion and the metamorphosis the following shows the principal characters of the several orders of the class of insects insects have three pairs of legs and undergo metamorphosis mouth formed for mastication wings for 
the two anterior in the form of elytra those of the second pair coleoptera folded only transversely orthoptera folded in two directions or lengthwise only wings four the two anterior membranous and reticulated like the posterior neuroptera undergo metamorphosis mouth formed for suction wings four hymenoptera all membranous transparent and divided into large cells mouth armed with distinct mandibles lepidoptera all covered by a kind of colored dust mouth armed with a spiral trunk only hemiptera the anterior ordinarily in form of demielytra mouth armed with a conical beak either straight or curved undergo metamorphosis mouth formed for suction wings two Rapiptera folded like a fan diptera not folded suctoria wings entirely wanting not subject to metamorphosis no wings parasita abdomen unprovided with appendages thysonora abdomen provided with false legs or appendages for leaping the myriapods which have twenty-four pairs of legs or more and are without wings now form a distinct class and are not insects properly so called they were formerly included among the apterous insects the thysonora parasita and suctoria have no wings and for this reason are frequently spoken of under the common name of aptera from the greek a without and pteron wing or apterous insects all other orders of insects have wings and are spoken of by the common name of winged insects end of section one